What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am Gerald Daly, and this is The Drop. And you know, that intro makes me smile, because many of those images were from some of the best freaking times in my life. And I keep making those good times, but that was some awesome stuff. Anyway, I want to thank you all for tuning in today, because it is a special show today. The gentleman I have on the show today has been inspiring me for, I don't know, three decades. You know, it, it, he's been an inspiration to me, and now I get to talk to him on a regular basis, and we're talking about skateboards and different kind of technology and all sorts of stuff. So it's pretty cool being in the industry as long as we collectively have, because it's probably over 70 years. It really is. And Scott Ray is in studio with me today. So stick around because it's going to be a rad show, super rad show. We're going to talk everything. uh, You know, the drop-in covers people's stories, where they started, how they got there, and where they're at today. And with Scott Ray, it'll blow your freaking doors off. So make sure to stick around. But I want to open up today with, you know, I want to talk about mortality. This show talks a lot about making the most of every single day. It isn't a dress rehearsal. It's your job to get off your damn couch and make the most of your life. That's the crux. That's why I do this. And in the last month, it has been nuts. My cousin passed away. Uh, A friend of mine, 27 years old, had a heart attack out of nowhere. He's got a stint. Uh, Another friend of mine had a weird complication with something, and he's partially blind in one eye. You just never know what the next moment brings. You just don't. You can't predict it. You can't calculate it. And so we have to live in the moment and make the most the most of the life we are given. There's a quote, and it's overused, but I'll tell you, it's called the present for a reason, because it's a gift. It is a gift to be here, and I don't take life for granted. There was much of my life I did. I thought I was indestructible. I used to jump off the biggest cliffs I could into water, and I didn't care if I was going to come up for air. Today, I care if I come up for air. I care if I wake up tomorrow and I want you to do the same thing because you're worth it. You are worth it. Pat yourself on the back and tell yourself you are worth it. And so with that, thank you. Thank you for being here today. The gentleman sitting across the table from me, let me tell you, uh, I'd heard his name for a long time and then there was a little skate park called Metro Trend. It was in Ferndale, Michigan, and it was the mid-90s, and I was skating there every single day. And Scott Ray used to come around, and we became friends. Over the years, we might talk once a year. We might talk once every other year. Over the last few years, I've been uh, emceeing a uh, benefit once a year for the Make-A-Wish Foundation for his brother's daughter. So I got to see him guaranteed once a year. Well, it started getting more, and we started talking more. And he started doing some things, and I wanted to know more. So we started talking. And after a few different conversations, I'm like, dude, will you come on the show? What do you think about coming on the show? And he said, I'd love to. We got to visit a little bit at the party at the Pond Show. You can go back after this show. Go back and check that out. Interviews with everybody. And you get a little bit about Scott Ray. And um, and so it is my, my huge honor to introduce you, the drop-in I almost said drop in down river, the skate park organization, <laughs> the drop in audience to my very good friend Scott Ray. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time, brother man. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, how was the drive coming in? It was pretty pretty smooth. Pretty smooth. Um gave myself ample time, but 
you know, pretty smooth sailing. So right on, yeah. right on, man. You know, we've been uh, friends, you know, for quite a long time. And the Metro Trend days were a very interesting time. You know, yeah. skating was it's, it was an ebb and flow through a lot of those years. And many of us kept showing up and right. kept showing up yeah. and kept showing up. Yeah. I think it even spans uh, farther than that. You know, like uh, all you down river kids. You know, like I'm from up near Milford. Um, but and skateboarding brings everyone together, whether it's the music that we grew up with, the skateboarding. But um, I've known I've known of your existence for a long time. You know, I would say probably like, you know, mid to late 80s, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, you know. It goes back, you know. So. And K-Zoo tied a lot K-Zoo of us tied, together. Yeah, yeah. How many... Be- you know, that, that park, yeah. uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, it's all the way on the other side of the state. Right, right. But for many years, it was the only, only. indoor park we had. And Bill right. Ferguson, I mean, 80s uh, pro. I, I don't know if he actually had a pro model, but he was right up there with sure. everybody. He's the one that kept that thing going. It's going today. To this day, yeah. And we all would... Uh, meet there all, everybody that went there and even in the the lean years we were driving through uh, two foot of snow to get there on right. a saturday to roll around jet heaters because it was a huge tin box yeah. and doing whatever we could to continue riding our skateboard here in the midwest because we only get you know six months of good weather right you right. know right but let's get right to the beginning you know let's talk about you growing up i know you went into it a little bit in the party at the ponds interview and it was super cool and that's when i said we got to get you in studio and talk yeah. more about it so talk about your growing up where'd you grow up how was it um grew up uh highland milford area pretty uh pretty con- country bumpkin um no not really much pavement the only pavement we really had was in the subdivisions everything was dirt roads around us um but I found, uh, I found a skateboard at a garage sale, I think, when I was seven years old. Um, um, upbringing, I'm a middle child, the, you know, the kind that you kind of forgot about. Your younger <laughs> sister gets the, you know, the attention. Your older brother gets the attention. But the younger one just kind of gets shoved to the side with a drawing pad and, like, oh, he's the quiet one. He's okay. Um, so I found something that was just mine, and it was skateboarding, um, whether it was a 50-cent you know, I think my first board probably was a either a warp tail or a fiberflex from a garage sale. Didn't know what I had. Not one other person in my entire neighborhood had a skateboard until I think I probably turned 12. Um, but I, I, I'd have to say I dropped in in 1978. No you way. You know, and uh, it's a long time. Um, <clears throat> I'm 47. 40, you know, four decades of it, you know. And, uh, you know, I met that first, it was probably junior high. I saw other kids that had skateboards, and and I realized that this is a thing, you know, and there was something that came with it, and it was uh, brotherhood, camaraderie, um, music, a whole entire culture, Um, and I instantly gravitated towards that, you know, and wanted to be, live, everything about being on a board. Um, And I had two aunts and uncles that both moved out to California. They both married surfers. They both skateboarded. And to this day, they still both do, and now their kids do, and their kids do. And uh, went out to California, I think, when I was 13. And I came back with uh, knowing there's pros, and there's companies, and there's magazines, and there's boards that I want, you know. And as soon as I came home, the first place we had a you know, skateboard available to us was a bike shop. There was no skateboard shops back in the 80s. Um, so I went to the local bike shop. Bike shop. They just carried one brand, Santa Cruz, and I got the Slasher. You know, so this is my first real pro model. You know, and uh, age 13, and 
And uh, I think by 15, I had my hair dyed yellow. Dad wanted to kick me out of the house at age 15. He did kick me out of the house at age 16 for having yellow hair and a nose ring and, you know, friends that uh, already were getting tattoos of music at age 16. And, uh, yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't agree to it one bit. See, was, such a similar, uh, a similar but different story. You know, I, I, I rode some plastic boards, and then I, uh, Florida was my thing. Uh, yeah. My childhood best friend moved to Florida with his dad. Then he moved back, and he had a Monty Nolder. Wow. And I rode it, and I'm like, I want to do this. And my dad bought me a couple of boards from Dunham's, yeah. and I wore those out. And I was playing hockey, my first love, and I played hockey with all these dudes from Birmingham and stuff, and they already had good skateboards. Right. So I would buy their used boards, 35 bucks. My first good board, the things you remember. Yeah, yeah. Your slasher, mine was a Lance Mountain. All right. 35 bucks with wow. every everything on it. And uh, it, it's very interesting, the little milestones yeah. we remember along the path. Sure, you know? sure. Um, you know, I was told, uh, when are you gonna outgrow that thing? You yeah. know, you, you, this is just a fad. This is a trend. You they know? keep asking me that. <laughs> and he did up until I was 35 years old. He did. Yeah. He, he asked me those questions. Um, but when I turned 17, uh, I moved out. He kicked me out. He threw my stuff out on the on the lawn. He literally kicked me out and uh, moved in with a good friend, Eric Davis. You know Eric. Oh yeah. Um, downtown Pontiac, and uh, he was with an older girlfriend in Pontiac, and I heard gunshots for the first time out in the real wild and uh, we were skating Phoenix Center Plaza and I got mugged and they took my uh, brand new camcorder you know and uh, so I really realized that life isn't that you know leave it to Beaver living in Milford and uh, so I came crying home like uh, within a week and uh, begging my mom yeah for sure you can come home but your dad's not gonna want your yellow hair so that's when I started bleaching my hair you know okay I shaved it and bleached it and white was cool um, but yeah, and and, and uh, moved back in, and, and by the time I turned 17, I decided that I want to be a pro snowboarder. And, you know, this is, I don't want to grow up, you know, like, you know, I'm always thinking of college and stuff, thinking of school and all that, but my sights were on skateboarding. And uh, started snowboarding around age 11 with a hand-me-down on the back hills. And where were you riding? Because, you know, Michigan, nothing, Michigan isn't notorious to be mountainous. No, and there was no resorts that even allowed it then. Um, I had a buddy, Rob Rainey, who was two years older than me in high school. I got a hand-me-down uh, Sanzi snowboard. If I still had that, I'd probably be able to retire. Um, but he gave me this hand-me-down after he got his first Burton, which was probably a 150 Elite, you know, like a V-tail. So I get the Sanzi, and I find out that it's made by a guy in Grand Rapids. And one of the oldest, uh, Steve Link, you know, kind of had a part of it, along with his buddy Dave Sanzi. And... They're, uh, these guys are legends in the snowboard industry. Jake Burton took notes from these guys. You know, Michigan is a manufacturing state, and all the way down to the snurfer, the scurfer, um, the snowboard possibly very well. The modern snowboard could be invented in Michigan, as well as the first contest sanctioned event was held in Pando, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, so I found something, you know, and uh, when I went out to California, my uh, Uncle Bob, he first place he took me, Venice Beach. Very first place. A little bit of a culture shock yeah. coming out of Michigan uh, to go to Venice you Beach. Know, first, the first day landed off the plane, he drives me up to Venice. I'll show you what skateboarding and what punk rock and you know what, what it's all about. Yeah. And I was 13. He dropped me off at the beach. He's like, 
I'll be around. Meet me at the skate shop at 6. This is from 10 to 6. He's letting a 13-year-old run wild on Venice Beach. <laughs> you know, I made friends. I'm skateboarding with them already. I'm going up and down the, the pier. Um, it was amazing. And, and I was out there in California for the entire summer. And to frame it a little bit for our audience, you know, I started skating around 11. And uh, prior to that, you know, all my friends were the hockey players. Yeah. So I picked up a skateboard. And like like you said, Scott, everything came with it. The music came with it, the, the, the culture, the dying hair, all that came with skateboarding. So moving into junior high slash high school, I lost like all my friends because I started riding a skateboard. And the other three guys in the city that rode skateboards were my friends. So it was, it was quite a weird thing. And then I talked to my cousin who was out west and he turned me on to the dead Kennedys and it right. was off to the races, man. Sure. It was it was on. I had to figure it out. And so it was quite a different time than it is today. Oh, yeah. If you were into skateboarding, punk rock and that oh, lifestyle. Oh, yeah. It, it wasn't accepted. You were an outlaw. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've had my dad had to go down to the Milford Police Station and nearly wring a cop's neck to get my skateboard back. You know, like I got my skateboard impounded for skateboarding. Um, and you remember the signs, no skateboards. But you see a bike and you see a roller skate and you see a scooter go down the street. You know, we were vagabonds. We were like, you know, um, we weren't treated kindly. And I think they just looked at the culture that surrounded us and didn't understand it. But one thing that I didn't say that I got from skateboarding is individuality. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I got to, I learned real quick that I didn't need labels. I didn't need to have the Jordash jeans, the Michael Jordans. I didn't need to have any of that. I just needed a pair of Converse which I defied wearing because that's what my dad would buy me, you know, like you know, Jack Purcell's or, you know, Converse. That's what you get, you know, so the dime store carries. And, and, I, and I just defied wearing those until I went to California and saw every single skateboarder wearing Converse. Mm-hmm. And it instantly was like, wow, these are the first athletic shoes, basically, you know, and, and with a flat sole that worked for skateboarding. So my dad, didn't, he, he knew something, you know. Um, but, yeah, one thing I did get is individuality. And I tell people that to this day, you know, when, when new kids come, come up, or the youngsters especially, I said the coolest, one of the coolest things about skateboarding, there's no rules, yeah. there's no uniform, yeah. there's no right or wrong yeah. way to do it, yeah. and, and there's no coach, there's no practices. You do what you want, how you want to do it, and it makes you smile. Yeah. And that those reasons were the exact reason I found skateboarding because my dad was putting us in my brother and I into little league baseball, and like all sports that I do, I, I'm pretty good. Not not to tote my own horn or anything, but I'm pretty athletic, and I was always picked last. I should have been the first starting shortstop, second base, or catcher. That that was my position, but I wasn't in with the coach and the friends and I didn't know the kids and they were straight up jocks and here's me you know early listening to the violent thems in 1981 right oh, yeah. so it just I did not groove with that and being picked last and picked last it was it was not a disappointment it was like why am I wasting my time if I'm not appreciated and then I think I was about 13 around then and met some friends at the end of the sub and they had skateboards and they had uh, RKL shirts and Dead Kennedy shirts, and I'm like, what's this? And then my brother starts being friends, and he brings home Exploited, and that wasn't my thing. You know, I'm more of the uh, political, social 
you know, minor threat to Fugazi kind of, you know, progressive emo core or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I, I found a sense of being, you know, with skateboarding. And, and, and how was school for you? Because for me, school was tough. School, I had to try to get uh, C's. I wasn't, I was an art guy. I was a creative I, guy. I, I was too. I was art. I was in all the arts. And I was, uh, I was actually in choir. Right on. I, I actually did choir all the way through traveling choir, concert choir. Um, I was the lead in uh, my junior high plays. And up until junior high, I even did the first play in junior high. I was in debate. I was, I, I had friends on all spectrums. Like I dated and went to homecoming with the homecoming queen. Right. On. Like I, I had people that wanted to fight me because I'm a skater. Excuse the, you know, any bad name they can call you, you know, mm -hmm. put it correct not to say it on the air, but I'm just like any bad name they could call you associated with a skater. You know, I was called it. And uh, it's because I was so cool to everyone. You know, the the geeks, the dweebs, the blips, the stoners, the jocks, the burnouts. You know, it didn't matter. I My mean, favorite one, I, I actually went to a, a friend of mine's football game. And they were calling me a squid. Well, I had never yeah. heard that. Yeah. So I'm sitting there just watching the game, and my buddy's like, I, I, do you hear what they're saying? I'm like, what? I don't even know. I'm yeah. deaf in one ear, so I probably really didn't hear them. Yeah. And he's like, they keep yelling squid. I'm like, what does that mean? I guess it was a derogatory term I, for a skateboarder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so I, I, we've all been called it, you know, growing yeah. up. And uh, and I and I look past that, and, you know, sticks and stones, break your bones, but... I'm the one that has a hot girl going home. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we are sitting here with Scott Ray, and I'll tell you what, we are just getting started. We're just getting started. So thank you so much for tuning in to the drop-in today. You know, uh, some of the coolest people get to come in here to the NRM studios, and that that's part of the fun of me doing this, is I get to invite the people that inspire me, and Scott Ray's been doing it for over thir three decades. So, you know, high school, you know, we, we had those ups and those downs in, in skateboarding. You're you're an outcast and, and an outlaw, and you find snowboarding. Yeah. Um, uh, how about that? Because that's not a cheap sport. Yeah, it, it wasn't a cheap sport. And uh, and I, I seriously believe that me and a handful of three, five friends were the first people that had boards at Alpine Valley. I mean, I had my board three years prior before Alpine even allowed it. And Alpine was the first place in Michigan that allowed snowboarding. Not Boyne, not the bigger resorts up north. They, they came later. And Alpine only allowed it on, gosh, I remember like a Tuesday in the evening after ski school and a Sunday. And you only got like time, like one time frame, you know, throughout the entire day to go. But I was there and my mom was supportive. Um, I had three friends, Jim Pixley, Bill Allgaier, and uh, Harvey Kendall. We all had the same birthday, January 17th. So two of them were older than me, and me and Harvey were the same age. But we'd go up there on uh, the one night that they offered snowboarding all night. You know, you get, you get a pass for cheap, and you can ride till 2 in the morning. So my mom would always take us for four years straight, all of my friends up there. And, uh, and we just became known as the snowboarders, you know. But um, at a really early age, you know, it's like uh, I was the first one, you know, the first wave. And uh, there was guys doing it like in the 70s on their own in the back hills. But when it came to the resorts, I wanted to be on that. And I couldn't afford it. Um, age 16, I somehow landed a job at Surf's Up in Kegel Harbor. And there was a couple shops, Coastline Styles, Surf's Up. 
And uh, I got a couple days a week, you know, I had to get a work permit from school. And uh, my mom drove me from Highland to Kew Harbor. Right on. You know, you can, yeah, you can have this job. I'll pick you up and drop you off. And didn't have a car yet. So uh, I learned there they can get fr- kind of cheap stuff, you know. Get, I, so I got my first snowboard at uh, almost cost, you know, bought through because I worked there. And uh, I still have that board to this day. And ever since then, I was like, I, I want to be in this industry, you know. Whether it was working at a shop, whether it was being a snowboarder. Um, and just so had it be that, like... The things we were doing to, I think, make our boards better, you know, um, they just didn't work for what we needed them to work for. Um, they were kind of a downhill, directional, slalom, you know, kind of universal board. Like pointy nose, square yeah, tail. Yeah, pointy nose, no tail. You know, um, uh, the stances on them were kind of, you know, they were kind of uh, slalom, and t- you know, knee knocked together, both feet facing forward. So we were skate-oriented, and we took these boards and started cutting the noses down. Seriously, in my dad's uh, garage shed, he comes out, and I'm, like, using a hacksaw <laughs> to cut through the metal edge first before I can use his jigsaw right. and cut a $300 board that I save all summer long to buy. And he comes out, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're cutting our boards down. Right, right, right. And he's like, what do you, why? And I'm like, because they're too long, and, like, the noses bounce when you go down the hill and the nose chatters and leaves the snow so you don't have contact so you're not making contact so you don't have the right control so we cut them down to stiffen them up so they would hold on the corn snow and the ice that we have in michigan they might have worked out west where the snow is 12 feet deep right but in michigan these boards really didn't work they weren't designed for midwest riding so at a young age i mean because we're going to get to a point where you're at today it's the innovation's incredible but at a young age yeah that innovation and figure out what works for me right. and if i can't go buy it i'm going to make it yeah adapt it adapt what's out there and with that we cut the noses down we made the tails round like a skateboard um, we uh, drilled our holes right through the center of the board and mounted T-bolts, just a way to mount the bindings where you want, farther than the stances that they allow you to have. And then we started doing contests. You know, I was in the whole Great Lakes contest series, and you start seeing other people doing this too. And uh, then we're starting to go to contests in Milwaukee and Wisconsin. They're doing it too. And it was a Midwest thing because of our snow conditions. These boards didn't work. So it was happening on the other side of the lake at the same time we were doing it. We weren't the innovators. It was just what you had to do to make these boards work. Or if you believe, like me, I believe in common consciousness. So, yeah, so like, same So, you thing. know, inventions have a tendency, you know, when this dude's inventing, like, some crazy technology, there's somebody on the other other side of the world on that exact same yep. time frame. Yep. So very similar no, to that. No, it was the same thing. Um, and uh, we started doing concerts over there, and these guys were doing the same thing. And now the board companies that are giving us these boards are like, hey, uh, how are those boards holding up? We want to, you know, send them back so we can check them out. How, what do you mean? You cut them. You cut them in half. You cut the noses off. You re-drilled through the board. What do you mean? <laughs> right. and, uh, so they were pretty upset. And uh, the reps, the dry, you know, the dried reps and the people that were flowing us boards, whether it was Morrow, I think it was Morrow. This is way earlier than Joyride. Morrow or Burton or one of the companies, uh, you know, they were pretty upset. But by the time I landed on Joyride and we cut those boards down, they took notice. Okay, these guys are onto something. You know, they're doing tricks that we're not doing tricks in California. You know, like we're doing, 
you know, incorporating handrails into it, we're incorporating skateboard tricks, not just the method, you know, like we're incorporating like half cabs and, you know, 180s and we're riding backwards. The boards that they had in California with these little tails, they didn't even know what fakie was, you know. So the Midwest, hands down, is a good chunk of the evolution of where snowboarding is today. And what year are we talking about here? Probably like 87, 86, 87. So I was this probably was, 15. So this is before skateboarding really went to the twin tip oh, kind yeah. of boards because that was oh, early, yeah. early uh, mid-90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So even ahead of that. For sure. And uh, I mean, because I moved out west uh, when I was 17. As soon as I could, I moved out west. First place I landed was uh, Utah. Yeah. And uh, so I was already on Joyride at that point at 17. So this had been around 15. We started cutting our boards down. And then you moved out to Utah about 89, uh, 17, 89, 90. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that winter I moved out there. As soon as I, gra- I graduated, 90. So it had to be that after that. Um, so 90, I, that winter. Um, I didn't even wait. I didn't go to, uh, I started going to community college for like that summer right after school and for psychology. And, and I remember my teacher, my professor talking about, um, he was friends with, uh, Jim Morrison and he kept using stories of Jim Morrison and the Pavlov theory and teaching his lessons with Jim Morrison (laughs) and psychology. And I just remember and this dude always wore, uh, Birkenstock sandals a Hawaiian shirt and shorts every day. And uh, I came in and uh, I was there for 10 minutes and he goes in this Jim Morrison story and how this relates to like psychology. And I just like close my notebook, put my pen on my thing. Mr. Ray, you need a pass? You need a restroom pass? I'm like, no, I'm all set. And he's like, uh, you going to the library or something? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not coming back. And, uh, and I like, uh, I think I was, uh, I don't know, two months, shy of like you know my full year first year of basics i bounced and i went out to Cal- i went out to utah and uh, went out there with 700 dollars. my grandma gave me her car as my first car and loaded that little tercel up with everything i had 700 and landed in salt lake city parents were freaked out right what are you going to do with 700 dollars? how are you going to make it well man, we went out there with like four or five friends and you know, we got a place, and we're living right there on right above the uh, second second, right downtown. Snowboarding's great. Before snow even hits, January or uh, October thirteenth, it's a Friday. Friday the thirteenth, we haven't even got snow yet. There's a little bit of snow falling on the hills. The resorts aren't open. We're poaching this uh, Alta ski resort. Poaching as you're going up with no lift ticket. You're poaching. There's not even snowboards allowed on Alta. And we're hiking up, you know, all the way to the top of the peak, and uh, we're poaching the, poaching the hill. Well, I go off this, uh, it's like a chute, goes down into a big, like, uh, open bowl, big, huge launch that launches back down into the hill again. The graders, I don't know. It was steep, you know, like, you couldn't walk down it. It was so steep. Well, I did this half cab off this thing and do a little nose tip grab, and I watched my landing go by in the air. And I just kind of equated to, like, Wiley Coyote <laughs> running off the cliff and he's running and he realizes he's not running on land anymore, but he's still running. And then he realizes there's no land and that's when he falls. That's exactly what happened. On a side note, you ever see his business card? It says, yes. have brain, will travel. Yes, I love yes, it. Yes. I love it. Like that's going to be my next the business Looney Tunes, card. I mean, <laughs> it's sad. The majority of those things are banned from television. And they are brilliant. 
but they are amazing. <laughs> I grew up on Looney Tunes. So you see your freaking landing going yeah, by. Yeah, so I see my landing go by, and I'm probably still 50 feet above from touching down. And I just went straight out, and it was a straight shot down. And because the good thing, the steep is such a steep grade, else I would have smashed like a pancake. Mm. So I saw my landing coming up, and I knew I wasn't on my board. I was rolling the windows up, which, you know, you lose your balance. You roll the windows up, trying to keep my feet under me, the board under me. Um, just couldn't do it. I just kept leaning forward, leaning forward. So I'm with my hands stretched out, waiting for that landing. My knees, hands and knees, landing like a you know caveman. And there's only one rock exposed in the entire hill. And my knee catches that rock. Instantly blew my leg up. Uh, ski patrol comes down. I saw it from the lift, buddy. I can't do anything unless we're going to prosecute you. So we're going to call the fire department. They'll be up in a minute. If you want me to take you down, we're going to have to prosecute you. For snowboarding on the hill? For snowboarding on the hill legally. You know? <laughs> we're snowboarders. It's a ski-only resort, Alta. So... Uh, he just kind of hangs for this uh, suburban fire truck, suburban with tank treads, comes rolling up the hill. Yeah, yeah, you did yourself. And uh, I didn't look yet, but uh, I had to look. And we're wearing jeans because it's like 60 degrees, you know, five inches of snow, barely any coverage. And we're wearing T-shirts and snowboarding. I looked down at my leg and my leg is now red from my thigh to my boot. It's red. The jeans have split open. I had to look. I looked, passed out. You know, don't remember anything else. Waking up at the hospital, six-hour surgery later. The next day, I woke up. Um, I tore my patella. My, I tore my kneecap off my knee. Uh, my PCL ligament that holds your patella on is gone. And I wake up with someone else's cadaver PCL holding my knee together. Uh, the surgeon... He was amazing. He was probably the best in the world to do it. And he said, uh, as I'm waking up all sleepy eyes, he's like, uh, uh, you're going to be okay, you know. And this will probably last you 20, 25 years before you need any, uh, you know, um, any kind of tune-up. And, uh, and I had maybe two weeks of therapy in Utah, and I was so depressed that all my buddies are now starting to get the real snow, and I'm laid up, and I'm done for the year that I, uh, my parents knew about it. They knew what happened. Um, they were concerned what I was gonna do. Um, I just loaded up my car and after two weeks of the injury and I loaded up my car and drove 24 hours straight to get home. And uh, my mom didn't even know I was coming. I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna frighten her, you know, and like have her worry right. that I'm driving across country on I-80 in, in the start of winter. So I just knock on the door of my old house, you know. She answers the door, and she sees me in crutches, full cast from the hip to the leg, you know, just bust out crying. Um, so I stayed home and, and did a little recovery for six months, riding a mountain bike, doing a little therapy, and in six months, I was gone. Moved back out to Lake Tahoe. Right on. This time, I decided to go to Lake Tahoe. That's where the snow was predicted to be the most. It was the year before I was in Utah, so this time the, you know, the Sierra or whatever the... I think it's Sierra's, you know, lose track of the mountain range out there. But it's like what, the classic movie, Endless Summer. Yeah, you know, they, chase, they chase the summer. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it is it is the classic, you know, where you're chasing the snow. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so I land in uh, Lake Tahoe, and uh, my first week there, we uh, team droid was there, and they had all the uh, team members show up for the first television 
televised snowboarding on ESPN. Right on. And it was Gerard's snowboard team. So we take these guys that have these like beta camera, VHS cameras, like four feet long on their shoulders. Half of them couldn't ski. Half of them have rentals. And we take these guys up to KT-22, the biggest, or Granite Chief, one of the one of the two biggest hills there. I don't I think it was KT. That movie, uh, Better Off Dead. Oh, yeah, I love it. The K-12, where's my, man. Where's my $2? Yeah, I love that movie. We take them up to that hill. Sweet. That Sweet. drop-in. The same drop-in in that movie. And uh, they're like, where are you guys going to go? We're, we're going down there. And they're like... What do you mean down there? That's not that's not a run. <laughs> it's a straight like drop down in, and uh, so we just basically took them up there to ditch them. And now prior to this, are you affiliated with Joyride? Yeah, when I'm you ri- get there. I, yeah, I'm riding for Joyride as like a grassroots pro. Um, they had they, at that time they only had I think maybe three to five signature pros with models, and the rest was like B or roots. They called them grassroots. Okay. They didn't call like a B team because we were just as much of the team as like. Um, and one thing Joyride prided themselves on is they didn't do contest. Joyride was all about the fun. You know, they paid my way, seasoned gold pass to every resort I wanted in the U.S. They paid my lift ticket, my plane ticket. If I wanted to go to Minnesota to be in a demo with one of my other sponsors, Beacon at the time, here's your ticket. Right on. Everywhere I wanted to go, uh, New Mexico, Taos, New I mean, not many people get to snowboard in Taos, New Mexico, but, you know, there was something going on. You what know? a huge benefit. Yeah. So I had this uh, unlimited access to equipment and anywhere I wanted to go. And they paid for my roommate, Doug Austin, who was another droid rider. And he moved out there a year prior to me. So I met up with him and lived with, checked up with him. They paid for our A-frame uh, house on Donner Mountain. You know, you couldn't ask for anything more to live the lifestyle. Right on. Um, so it was in my blood, man. I got a job at Boreal uh, as a lift-up, or it was actually a ski instructor. Got my membership pass. Never gave a, li- a lesson. <laughs> 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 got my pass. Got my coat. You know, I can ride the lifts now. Never gave a lesson. You know, they never saw me a day again. <laughs> and, uh, and we would just use that lift ticket to get up. Uh, to get up Boreal, to get the backside of Donner, ride down Donner, get up their lifts, you know. We worked it. So in that in that time, met the most amazing people. Yeah. Um, my first day at Donner, Doug takes me to Donner, and uh, he's like, here comes Cardiel. No way. I'm like, no way. Cardiel's shushing down, and we're going up the chairlift, and the first chairlift goes over a cliff that's anywhere from 60 feet to 7 feet. And your chair goes right over the 60 foot. And he's like, he's going to hit it right there. I'm like, no way. Where's he going to go? He's going to ride down the chute of the cliff. Cardiel throws a backflip right under my chair. And I'm like, just, I could have like reached out and grabbed the bottom of the dude's board. And for those of you keeping score at home, he's talking about John Cardiel. Yeah. One of the most influential skateboarders on the planet. I mean, him no, and, anything him and, he does. Yeah, him and Wade Spire were my oh, driving man. force through the 90s, like how I wanted to ride. Yeah. So much, I mean, energy, positivity, you name it. Cardiel had it. And like Scott was going to say, snowboarding. Now he's running, riding, he was paralyzed. Now he's riding fixed gear bikes. Right. San Francisco. I mean, right. dude is amazing. John Cardiel, you can look him up after this show. Amazing dude. We're going to try to get him on the show later. Uh, but 
back yeah. to you know inspiration. Looking at you know, that, like, like that, that's my lift? first that's my first experience of what California and like the real snowboard scene is. You know, wow. We had the real snowboard scene in Michigan, but like it wasn't like you know California skateboarding and surfing snow. You know, and so my first experience is John Cardiel, and like of course we hook up and ride with them. Um, and then throughout that day, I meet Noah Salaznik, I meet Jim Rippey, I meet Sean Palmer, I meet Sean Palmer, I meet Nick Parada. I mean, all these dudes are like legendary that were living on my walls as a kid. And, Riders uh, on the storm. And here I'm riding with them. Yeah, that's And here right. I'm hanging with them. Um, and, uh, and, and, and a lot of times at a different level than what they were at because we had to fight with the conditions that we had. Um, Midwest snowboarders have so much more board control than people out west. And it's just because we have these conditions of ice. And if you can learn to carve on ice and turn and have good foot control, you take it out there to the soft snow, you know, instantly you're, you're like, uh, um, like you're unstoppable. No, nothing can harm you. Launch yourself. Well, obviously I hurt my knee. But, uh, but you, you, you feel like invincible when you go out there jumping 50-foot jumps in Michigan on ice, right, and taking a hit and then going out there and it's like powder puff, you know. Yeah. So it, it really projected me. Um, and, I, and I wasn't into the fame back then. I mean, we, we were like an elite group that like our writing spoke for us and we were not – we didn't really think that there was going to be fame. Who would have known that like there'd be ten thousand dollar cash prizes, right, for the X Games fifteen twenty years later? And my father even comes to me at age thirty five or seven, you know, like uh, talking about how he hasn't have a legacy to leave his kids, right? And uh, and I look around and I'm like, Dad, everything that you look at and everything that you say that I have achieved farther than beyond what you've done. That's your legacy. Mm -hmm. The making of the skateboards, the snowboards, the surfboards, the snow skate, the motorcycles, the you know cars, all the stuff that I do is like a craft, and it's from my dad being you know son of a, a son of a carpenter. Yeah, you know his attention to detail. So he kind gives me gives me shit. Excuse me, but like gives me shit my whole life. You know, like when are you gonna grow up? When are you gonna set that thing down? And then age thirty five comes over to my house and starts crying to me, you know, that he doesn't have a legacy to leave his kids. And I'm like, I am your legacy. Yeah. Everything I do, money is not a legacy, you know, for you to leave money like your mom did and, and your brothers and sisters fought over. Like, your legacy is what I do. And I'm going to continue on what you do. And Ace is going to continue on what you do, you know, through me. And so uh, he's like, that's what I wanted to hear. He came to me like begging for, for that answer mm -hmm. to make it okay for him because he was, he put himself such up there. Like he didn't achieve what he wanted to achieve, but he sees me living my life, how I want to live it, you know, going against the grain. And he gave me B for it, for my early years. But, um, he said these words and I don't remember them exactly. He's like, I didn't understand what skateboarding was, you know, when you were growing up. He's like, but now I understand. It's not just a skateboard. It's a lifestyle. And every, like we were talking earlier, everything comes with it. My friends, the music, the positivity. Like, uh, there's not one person that's better or less than the, the next person. Right. And he could be brand new, first day on a board. And he stokes the entire skate park out. 
if he gets to drop in as the dude like you that's pulling like your Madonna that you've been doing for 20 years. You know, the same amount of stoke. Yep. And that's what I knew from the get-go of what skateboarding and, and this whole subculture was, whether it was music, punk rock, emo, snowboarding. Snowboarding, I was kind of looked down at, like, in the early days from skateboarders. Like, you need bindings to do this, you know? And even skateboarders kind of gave snowboarding a, uh, you know, that's easy, you know? See, I knew, I didn't do it till later, but because I knew if I started... I'd want to jump out of helicopters. You have to take me to the mountain. Yeah. And, go. and I was so driven. Yeah. And, and skateboarding had, you know, the sponsors had started coming and I was taking it. Not seriously, but I, I had a feeling I was going to do something with it. And I knew the minute I got on a snowboard, I'd want to jump off of mountains and yeah. I'd get hurt. So yeah. I, like, didn't give it a chance. Right, right. Well, that's what you want to do because you find yourself. I mean, my brother's always been into uh, motorsports. Quads. He used to race quads. You know, motorcycles, all that stuff. He's still into it. Um, he would, he would even give me crap. You know, like, dude, when are you gonna get some real speed and learn how to jump for real? And my thing was like, I don't need a motor, right, to jump seventy feet, Andy. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know you and any of your friends would not hit the hits that I'm hitting out west. You know, and sailing for a hundred feet at like. 40, 50 miles an hour. You know, you got to book 40 miles an hour to hit some of these hits, man. And uh, and it's just it's just a different level. It's not that I have more, you know, brawn than him or more courage. It's just a different level that you can project yourself in that sequence of events and come out unscathed. And, and that's what I was good at, you know, and skateboarding, snowboarding, surfing. It, it all across the board you know and what's rad like i've found that you know people like yourself you know you're ripping snowboarders surfing your skate style reflects that yeah you can tell that that i mean jason jesse he's a surf guy you watch his his ollies you can tell the difference between somebody who's a straight skateboarder and somebody who can incorporate all of that and you have such a fun style to watch i I have uh i've been told that my whole life and i even hear um, I haven't heard Natis's name, Natis Coppice, come out like, man, your style is like his, and and uh, it's not like his. It's like the surf style. Like, like I knew who uh, I knew who the surf kings were at a very early age, and I knew where skateboarding comes from, and snowboarding. We had to do all disciplines, race, slalom, giant slalom. It's not like that anymore. You had to do all the disciplines if you wanted to do the freestyle. You had to do them all. So that forced me to learn how to carve, you know, in the snowboarding. And, uh, you know, we didn't have the old sidewalk surfers back in the day, so I didn't know what that kind of carving was. We just had the big pig, you know, 80s, you know, 10-inch boards, fishtails that really didn't work, you know. And looking well, b- looking back, they don't work. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, this this show, unfortunately, is only – we, we could talk for hours yeah. – hours hours but you bring up carving and i really want to fast forward a little bit to what yeah. you're doing now because uh, you know with uh, i'll say neil blender has brought in a, a totally i mean they, they say like things repeat themselves fads repeat sure. themselves every 20 years sure this is you know 40 50 years right. later right and 
you're at the forefront. We've had some conversations in the last few weeks that have really blown my mind because I've been paying attention to what you're doing on social yeah. media, and I, I see your pressing boards in Michigan, right. and this is going to bring this whole show all the way back around because Scott opened with him and his buddies changing snowboarding, changing, making a functional board for what works in the Midwest. And with skateboarding, some of the heavy hitters from the West Coast are reaching out a little it's, bit to uh, what you're doing. It's almost giving me anxiety. Yeah, because I mean, pressing boards in Michigan, dude. I mean, dude, I've been only doing this since July. And, I, you know, I've done a lot of stuff, making stuff. You know, I can make it. Give me something to make, I'll make it. You know, like from scratch. And I have no problem making anything from scratch. And I've always been like that way. I've never, if I want something, I make it. Well, it's the DIY yeah, thing yeah, that we it's, it's the punk with. rock. Yeah, yep. definitely the the definitely exactly. Um, so uh, July, I think I made my first board. I made this press eleven years ago. Never used it. I moved it to five houses. Imagine moving how big that iron is and right. the concrete. Can't take it apart. I've moved it to five houses in eleven years. So this year, I just decided my buddy, an old old friend, you know, from he was the first kid I met skateboarding at age 12, 13, Keith Gwynn. Um, he's like, dude, I got some money on that press if you want to get some wood and get that thing going. So he's been the one pushing me. And as soon as I made the first board, it was dog. It, was, it didn't turn out good. The second board turned out pretty good. I'll have to say the second board turned out pretty good. The third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 20th turned out pretty good. And, uh, and you mentioned the old blender. And I don't think that he is... He's always been an innovator. He's always been a creative innovator, artistic expression. I've followed Neil Blender from day one. From and he's Ohio. done things a little bit different since day yeah, one. Yeah, since day one. Since day one. And he's always been an influence on me. And uh, and I, 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 I kind of almost tried to reach out to him if I'm biting his style. But talking to these old dudes in California <clears throat> that are contacting me... Um, just by seeing the few things I've done, they're blown away that, uh, and they talk about, what do you think Neil Blender thinks about this? Has he talked to you? Have you, have you heard anything? Um, I haven't, but I heard people that are trying to do it. He's not too stoked on it. He kind of calls them imposters and kind of calls them um, knockoffs and bootlegs. And maybe he's joking. I'm not really sure. Neil Blender's a kind of hard cat to read. Yes, definitely. Right? Definitely. But he's definitely kind of put some vibe out there, people that are trying to do this. So they wanted to know if he was giving vibe in me for anything. Haven't heard a word. I even hashtagged his name. Hey, Neil Blender, thanks for the inspiration. But what these guys are telling me I'm doing, they're telling me that I'm ev everything evolves. And Neil Blender's not the inventor of these boards. These boards... Polarizers uh, kind of go back to the 50s of being it's just a flat board. Well, and you brought a couple. Yeah, you know, our I viewers, did. check. Sure. Hold one up. Show our viewers this what we're talking a, about. Uh, it's a little different than what you see on the X Games. It's a little different than what you're seeing all right. over the TV. Right. It's about six inches, six half inches wide. This one is actually three ply maple with fiberglass, like the old school Fiberflex, GNS, any Hobie, Makaha, any of the old skateboards. It's got the, there's the Sure Grip roller skate trucks, which is what all those boards rode mm -hmm. in the 50s, 60s, you know, even through the 70s. Sure Grip was one of the major skateboard trucks used. Uh, sure Grip made everybody's truck in the day. They've made Independent, they've made Thunder, they have made everybody's trucks. 
SureGrip is the truck um, most known for skateboarding and, and roller skates. So this thing is kind of like your modern hybrid of that sidewalk surfer. And Neil Blender, you know, again, outside the box, thinking outside the box, he, uh, maybe he was just sitting around and saw these boards in his house and decided, I'm going to put this board upside down. And, and, and it gets looks and gets people confused looks. Like, what's, what do you, dude, you mounted your board backwards, are you drunk? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, yeah, I am. I, I was. <laughs> I, I, I don't even try to tell them. They, they won't get it. But uh, the kids that get it, you step on it, and it just feels natural. Even with shoes, you feel like you're barefoot skateboarding because of the convex deck. And because of the nose and tail, it kind of makes you not able to tic-tac, not able to rely on your tail, not able to rely on that nose to keep your feet in, you know, those kicks. So what it really forces you to do is learn how to carve, learn how to turn, and basically just learn how to get some style, you know. That's one thing that I think that with the, and this is snowboarding, this is skateboarding, this is BMX, with the X Games and with these big, huge entertainment contest series, you know, it's not about the soul of those sports anymore. It's about stoking the crowd out. You know, how many spins can a dude do on a 30-foot ramp now? Right. You know, when a guy's doing, what's, what's the latest one? It's like a 14... I don't even it happened this summer, dude, yeah. on a 30-foot ramp. Yeah, like 1480 and bo- or 1480, something. and like now there's people that are like, yeah, but it's not really a 1480 because you had a big ramp, and it's a 13, 20-foot tall you know, transition ramp. With, I'm like... It doesn't matter. He rolled away. Dude, he, ro- <laughs> he, he did it on a ramp. And uh, you know, Tony Hawk might not have the mentality to go that fast and that high, but this dude did it. I mean, just the caliber, it, what... Uh, I think the media pushes. It's almost part of the media that pushed that caliber. Well, but, to comment on what you're going to talk about, what we are talking about, which is style, I had an 11-year-old about a year ago, and he gave me the best quote because his name is Wyatt Braun. His, his dad, Scott Braun's a teacher. They're all over the skate parks all the time. And I'm like, Wyatt, you're so rad, dude. You have a rad style. And he just looks at me and he goes, gee, can't teach style, man. And I'm like, you're exactly right. From the mouths of babes. And I had never seen anybody actually ride a skateboard. When I started, it was magazines. I never saw a video. So I was just trying to stay on. And I think I have the ugliest style in the world, but it's my style. (laughs) At least I have one, you know. And that might be me too. You know, like at an early age, didn't know anybody to emulate. Yep. But it's still picture in the... But but I I, I watched uh, ABC World Ride of Sports. That was on. And they showed surfing. I don't know if it was every weekend or every couple of weekends, but yeah, ABC Wildboard Sports had surfing on, and I knew what cutbacks were. You know, I wanted to be a California kid. Yeah. You know, my, my half my family was out there, and I, I was really, you know, I was I, I couldn't believe that we didn't move out there with my family. You know, we talked about it, but um, I just wanted to be a California dreaming kid. You know, and and now the people in California are saying, "What the heck yeah. is a kid from Michigan? Yeah. How does a kid from Michigan know more about skateboarding that's than what, the West Coast?" That's what this guy said, Jim Bug Martino. He's uh, one of the old cats that calls me up, and uh, these guys are in their sixties. You know, they they've seen the clay wheels, they've rode them, and uh, he calls me up and he's like, "Man, I just kind of find it ironic that uh, the dude that's making." the sidewalk surfer again after 40 years 
is a guy who came out to San Diego to a surfboard shape-off, beat one of the guys that had made 50,000 surfboards by hand, beat one of the six on the panel. My board was closer to his. And he's in Michigan, and he's, uh, he's doing a better representation of what the sidewalk surfer is. And he's just calling it an exact period correct board. And he's blowing me up. His buddy's blowing me up. They're, and, and they grew up with Caballero. They're often, these three guys are from San Jose. And they're, they're like, they want to see my boards out in California. And uh, it's just, it's a trip. It's a trip. And then uh, two days later rolls around, then I get a call from uh, um, Steve uh, Watson. He calls me. Who's Steve Watson? Google Steve Watson. Watson Laminates? That dude? Uh, there's Watson Laminates. He's not part of Watson Laminates, but he's uh, he owns uh, Hot Town Skates. I don't know if you heard of Hot, Hot Town. Um, there's Dogtown. There's Hot Town. It's a Venice Beach skate company, right? Okay. Well, this dude's an old, again, 77 was his first pro model. And uh, Wes Humpston is doing the graphics nice. for Hot Town. So this guy's calling me and like, he made a post like, man, your boards really take me way, way, way back. You know, like, I want one. So, again, I get an instant message and I get a phone call and, you know, it's just, I'm blowing guys' socks off, you know. Well, it's, and uh, I think through this whole uh, interview, which we, we have to do it again. You have to come back. We have to expound on everything yeah, because yeah. I, I love it. But throughout this whole whole thing, from when you started to where you're at now, it all goes to doing what you love, what you're passionate about, and and for no other reason but because you love it. And, and, and you want to do it. Not, yeah. like you said, not for the fame, not for the There's no for the driving money, force other than just the fun. And because you love it. And yeah. when you live with passion, right. the craziest, awesomest open doors open. Yeah. It's it's nuts. It's crazy, People, man. People see what I'm doing passionately in every aspect of what I do, and they want to help out. I've had calls and people wanting to get me $4,000 drum sanders to drum sand my veneers to a perfect you know hundred thousand of an inch to make my boards better i've had that guy davin reach out you know davin mm -hmm. he reached out hey, i think we want to donate this to you you know can you buy it no i can't buy it oh we're going to donate to you and davin carr's been bi building amazing yeah. ramps for years yeah. yeah so he reached out and then people drop by and bring me glue people drop by and bring me money i'm like dude i don't Oh, dude, I want you to take this and like, <laughs> you know, get some stuff and make this, you know, happen because they see what I'm doing, and I think people want to just get behind someone who's doing something, um, just for the sake of nothing, you know, for just the joy of it. And to me, I've always done that in my life. And if I don't reap any benefits financially, it's never the goal. Um, and, and again, this is another thing; it's not the goal. But I, I'm a strong believer: if you do something from the heart passion you put yourself into it all those things will stack up and i'll tell you what you know, this I, show for me is no is exactly yeah that. i mean i, do this I know, show I, every I know week, what you've been doing man and i'm like, freaking fired up and and you know it'll come around yeah yeah the amount that you give back to the community will come back to you eventually you mm -hmm. know in some manner or way and that's kind of what i you know i feel you know whether it's music but i mean the amount of friends i've met in music alone Touring from here to California and back a couple times with the friends and bands in a van, you know, I, I, I've never had that opportunity. 
Yeah, we'll, have to, we'll definitely be having Scott Ray version two because we didn't even talk about music. No. We got more snowboarding to talk about. Moon per, Moon Patrol, the Polarizers, Assembly Skateboards, Blue Room Surfboards. If people want to check out what you're doing, uh, give them all the Instagram handles, yeah, the best just, way uh, to do it. Probably Instagram. I'm uh, you know, Websites aren't off for a dying breed anymore, but I do have a domain. It's not active. It's for my surfboards. But um, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Room Surfboards on Facebook. Instagram, Blue Room Surfboards, Moon Patrol Polarizers, and Assembly Skateboards on Instagram. And that's pretty much where I'm just focusing. And, and to me, the, the social media is, uh, it takes up a lot of my time. And I think it takes up a lot of people's time. You know, like for some reason, they need to post what they ate for dinner and what their dog <laughs> is wearing that day. Um, I'm trying to keep it strictly to like what I'm doing. Yep. You know, and. Uh, and, and if that's my personal life, what I'm doing, then that's what I'm sharing with people, you know. Um, but, yeah, you can contact me through there. And uh, if you want a board or even commission your own style, shape, I'm, 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 I'm a custom, you know, board maker. Well, and I'll tell you, you know? what, you you made my weekend because we talked Saturday morning and I, I uh, we were just, you called. I was in Harbor Freight picking up some tools or something. And you're like, dude, it was like we were like 14. Yeah. You're like, dude, I was on the phone till 4 a.m. You don't even know. Yeah. They're calling. It is crazy, Gerald. I don't even, uh, dude. That's crazy. Yeah. And and that's what I love about our lives. Yeah. That we're still it's, like 14. It's right. still the stoke is real. Right. And it is here every single day. When I met Paul Schmidt at Modern's 40th, man, it's just like talking to him for an hour or two, you know, at the end of the night, it, I, cloud nine. Yeah. I couldn't believe the information he was giving me, you know, like... Free information, you know. And this and, is the godfather of, of skateboards, according to most people. I got to pick him up from the airport that yeah, night. Yeah, he did, yeah. But, um, you know, we're going to have to do another show, Scott. We're yeah. already down to the end wow, already, wow. man. So just thank you so much. And I, I guarantee we will have you back here in the NRM studios, wow. man. Appreciate uh, it. This is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So definitely for all you watching at home and keeping score, Assembly Skateboards, Blue Room Surfboards, uh, Moon Patrol Polarizers on Instagram. It's it's awesome to watch. And Scott's posting up stuff. There's videos. And if you want a custom-made board, reach out to my man, Scott Ray. You know, the shows keep getting better. The guests keep getting better. And the goosebumps continue to come on my whole body because I love this. I love you. And make sure to tune in each and every week for more of The Stoke. I am Gerald Valley, and this is The Drop-In. Wow.